Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to honour people, isn't it? Um, yeah, we're going to carry on in our Luke series this morning. Um, I hope you've been enjoying it so far. Yes? Good. Yes, great. Um, but isn't it great just to worship this morning? I was just thinking about that song that we were singing, I'm a child of God. I, I am who you say I am. I am a child of God. And uh, it's easy to just kind of skirt over that, to sing, yeah, that's nice, I'm a child of God. But um, this isn't what I'm preaching on, obviously, because it's not in Luke. But uh, we were separated from him. And in Ephesians, it says, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that's all of us who were outside of the Jewish nation, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were, at that time, separated from Christ. You were separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We can sing that this morning. We are children of God because we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, we're going to go to Luke. It's incredible. Um, I, hope, I, say, I hope you've been enjoying it. I hope you've been reading Luke at home in your own time as well. Um, I am excited to be looking at this book. I've really enjoyed digging into this uh, in my study and as I've been preparing for this morning and for uh, later um, messages as well. I'm excited because we are being drawn into a bigger picture than our own lives as we look into this book. We are being drawn into his kingdom. We are getting to know God better. We will see the power of God at work in and through this book, in our lives, and that he is drawing us into his amazing mission. And it's incredible. Adam's done a great job, hasn't he, so far in the first two? Good. Um, and what we've seen in these opening chapter and chapters are lots of miraculous events. We see angels, predictions, prophecies, miracles. And although Luke is a historian, he doesn't shy away from the supernatural. And neither should we. We see Zechariah, son, filled with the Holy Spirit. We see Mary's son to be born by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see Elizabeth greet Mary with a cry inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Zechariah prophesies in the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to cover quite a lot of ground. We are going to go from verse 39 to verse 80. I'm going to read a bit and preach a bit. We're going to move quite quickly, so strap yourselves in. Are you ready? And the words will appear on the screen, hopefully. I've left the clicker somewhere, Reuben, so you're going to have to keep up. It's not even, I genuinely don't know what I've done with it. Anyway, never mind. You're going to have to keep up, Reuben. Okay, so we're going to go from verse 39. It's good to read it in your book as well. It's on the screen, but get out the Bible and read it. In those days, Mary arose and went into haste into the hill country into a town in Judah. And she entered into the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. 
And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment, fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. My wife has been pregnant three times, and when babies leapt in her womb, she, I don't think she was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this is remarkable bits of scripture that we're, gonna, that we're reading this morning. Mary, we see here, goes to her relative. She goes to see someone who would understand her position. Elizabeth has this miraculous pregnancy, and Mary has an immaculate one. But with go- both, God has broken into their lives. Mary walks, they reckon, well over 100 miles to get to Elizabeth. Well over 100 miles, probably a four to five day journey, they estimate. She was desperate to be in community. She didn't make excuses. Do you want to be in community? Do you know all you've got to do is walk to your car? Or arrange a lift? Mary, she walks over 100 miles. If you're desperate to be in community, I suggest you join a connect group. Interestingly as well, as these two pregnant women meet, it contrasts a a passage in Genesis where there's two babies in separate wombs, they meet. It contrasts a passage in Genesis 25 where Jacob and Esau battle for supremacy in one womb. But here, John rejoices at the superior role Jesus has by leaping for joy in a separate womb. And we see humility in both the unborn child and his mother. First, we see Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, seeing her words and emotions are directed by God. And the humility reflected on here is that she is honoured. She says, the mother of my Lord should come to me. John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, he wasn't actually a Baptist. The Baptist church wasn't around then. Um, If you're from that background, I hate to break that to you. Um, John the Baptizer, he more fully expresses it in the Gospel of John in 3.30. He says, he must become greater, talking about Jesus, and I must become less. Humility. And we note that peace reigns with those who serve God and understand their place in God's plan. Do you understand your place in God's plan? Does peace reign with you? Elizabeth is also aware that despite being barren, not being able to have... I'm glad we don't use that word anymore, by the way. Despite being barren for years, not being able to have children, she is owed nothing by God. Yet she is amazed, privileged to understand she's involved in God's plan. She understands she is a beneficiary of God's grace. Why is this granted to me? Or in other translations, it says, why am I so honoured? Do you realise what a privilege it is to be used by God? Verse 45 says, Blessed is she who has believed. Blessed is she who has believed. And is a major theme through the first two chapters that God does what he says he will. When we believe in that truth, blessing will come. 
When God steps into our lives, we should rejoice and trust he will do as he promised. And what we see through this amazing account is that God's salvation will come in a seemingly impossible way. Jesus later on in Luke 18, 27 says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. We see God using extraordinary births all through Scripture. Isaac in Genesis 17, uh, Samson in Judges, Samuel in, in 1 Samuel, all through, God is establishing a pattern that is brought to fruition through the births of Jesus and John. Salvation is coming and has come in a way that only God can accomplish so that we know God has done it and he will get all the glory. Amen? Okay, moving on. I told you we're going to move fast. Verse 46. And after this encounter, Mary breaks out into this amazing, wonderful hymn of praise known over the years as the Magnificat because of the the word magnifier in Latin. Um, But we don't really call it that. And Mary said, verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty, has done great things in me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and returned home. Wow. This is a young woman we're looking at here, Mary. This wonderful hymn of praise just pours out of her. It shows us how God interacts with us, how he deals with the humble in heart and how he deals with the proud in heart. We see, again, what true humility is. Not humility in the sense of, I'm not as good as that guy or I'm not as talented or successful as that person. That's not true humility. True humility is assessing ourselves in the light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. When Mary talks about being lowly or of humble estate, she's talking about seeing ourselves in the light of the power, magnificence, and might of the God of the Bible. To understand where I fall short and he does not. And live in the truth and confidence of that. He is able, we are not. He is all-knowing, we do not know. Mary's song is amazing, amazing. It praises God for his mercy, his power, his saving grace to all people, to the Israelites. It looks back at Abraham, it looks at the present looking at herself, and it looks forward to the future salvation of Jesus. What comes out of this young woman is incredible. My soul magnifies the Lord. 
does your soul magnify the Lord? Wow. She's full of praise, full of God, and full of her awareness of a saviour. If we look at verse 47, it says, My spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. Mary is not to be worshipped. She, like everyone else, sees that she is in need of a saviour. My saviour, in God, my saviour. But she knows by God's grace is being drawn into his amazing salvation plan and being used mightily in it. There is no doubt this woman knows and understands her God. Just look at this, verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. She knows there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing he cannot do. You know, as a child, if you grew up with your dad or had a good relationship with your dad, you kind of, as a child, you think, there's nothing my dad can't do. I used to think that about my dad. He was, he was a fireman, so I thought he was a hero, a lifesaver. I mean, he was. Um, but as I grew older, I realized, you know, he was not perfect. Um, hopefully, my kids think that about me. I know, I know my girls, I have three children, two girls and a boy. My girls still think I'm pretty amazing and almost perfect. My, my, my son, he, he, he's kind of moving away from that stance at the moment. Um, I'll give you an example. I, I, I go to their school and do assemblies. And um, uh, I, I've got to be honest, it's not my comfort zone. I'd much rather do this. Um, and sometimes I look at Elijah, my son, and I look at him, and at the end, I, I do my assembly, I sit down and think, oh, thank goodness that's over. And I look at him as he, he stands up and walks out. I stick my thumbs up as if to say, any good? And he looks at me sometimes and goes. <laughs> okay. The first time I did it, I, and I used, to, I used to, when I was at school, I used to bunk assemblies. So I never used to know what an assembly was. And I said to him, what, what, what did you think of the assembly, son? He went, hmm. Seven out of ten. I thought, well, I'll take a seven. But anyway, it's gone down since then. Anyway. <laughs> I did get a nine once. Um, anyway. On an off day, I got a nine. Anyway. But you think if you had a good relationship... Uh, well, there was one stage Elijah thought I was amazing. Um, it grow, as you grow up, it changes. You realise that your parents are fallible. As we grow in our relationship with God, we should, it should be the reverse with, as, of our earthly father. We should grow in the knowledge that nothing is impossible with God, like Mary. She knows he is to be feared. To be feared, what does that mean? It, to, or to be in awe of. You see, something in us, in our hearts, feels right when we feel small. See, nobody goes to the Alps or the Grand Canyon, looks, it, looks at it, takes it all in and thinks, I am awesome. Behold my greatness. Nobody does that. If you do, I'd like to speak to you afterwards. No, you feel in awe. Because you feel good when you take in the grandeur of the amazing landscape. It feels good to be small. Despite all our best efforts to be big, we're not. And when we fear the Lord, 
in awe of, we realize we're small, we realize we can't fix it, we can't control it, then we see that he can. We see that mercy is lavished on those who fear him. It's going back to the humble, acknowledging God's position and authority, acknowledging he is high and exalted. Moving on. Verse 52, Mary talks about exalting those of humble estate. She's probably referring to herself, but also throughout Scripture, God consistently chooses the ones that nobody would choose. The afterthoughts. We we look at the heroes of the Bible and think they're giants, but God grabbed them, grabbed hold of them and changed them. I mean, you think about David. Samuel, the prophet who God spoke through to the people. Samuel, it was Samuel's job to anoint the king of Israel. So he spoke to Samuel and said, you need to go to David's dad, Jesse. He just said, go to Jesse and one of his sons I want to anoint to be king. Samuel goes to Jesse. Jesse, I need to see your sons. I'm going to anoint one of them. Jesse starts calling them in. No, it's not that one. No, it's not that one. No, not that one. No, no, none of those. Jesse, have you got any more sons? Oh, yeah, there's that little runt out in the field. David. Ah, yes, he's the one. I mean, David was forgotten by his dad. I bet he had some issues to work through when he did Freedom in Christ, don't you? We think he killed a lion, he killed a bear, he killed a giant. He was forgotten about by his dad. Moses was old, Jonah was disobedient, Elijah was depressed. And he chose here a young virgin girl to birth the Messiah. An old woman, barren woman, to birth his forerunner. If you were making this up, surely you would choose impressive people, right? It seems like everyone in this story is built to sabotage it. Why did God choose these people? Because he is predominantly interested in his glory. He is predominantly interested in his glory, in showing his might in such a way that we realize it's not about our strength or might or power to see the kingdom advance. It's about his might, his grace, his power, his picking of the weak and the broken and the wounded to show off his power. She finishes off by showing her understanding of history and covenant relationship. The Abrahamic covenant, the eternal promise of God, that God would make a great nation through Abraham and bless the whole earth. She knows. She knows what an amazing young woman this is. She has learnt this without lots of books, without the internet. She has it flowing from her, from her heart. Her soul really is magnifying the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to have young people and the building full of young people, full of God like Mary was? Understanding where they stand with him, in awe of him, on fire for him. You know, 
We can play our part in that. We can play our part in that. Last Sunday, from the service to the youth, over the whole day, we had, this is a conservative estimate, 69 under-18s in church. 69 under 18. So I, I would round it up. Adam would kind of pull me back from this. I would round it up a bit because there's probably some I missed. So I reckon over 70. <laughs> but because Adam's here, I'm going to say 69. <laughs> we as adults have a role to play in discipling young people. Yeah. We can show grace when they run around make a mess, we can show an interest in them, ask them questions, pray for them, support them in going to New Day and other such events. You have permission to ask my kids questions, get to know them and the others. When we pray for the kids when they go out, let's get behind the workers in prayer, get involved in the kids' work. When it's noisy at the back, don't be grumpy about it. We don't try to get them out of the way. Kids and young people are really important here. We won't always get it right, and we're figuring it out as we go and as we grow. Don't hear what I'm not saying as well. Young people are really important here, and so are those that are advanced in years, shall we say. But we need to disciple the younger generation. Make exceptions when there's changes that might suit the younger generation. We are the mature ones. We need to present this amazing message with its unchanging truth, sometimes in a way that you may not be used to. The younger generation are far from God. It is no longer assumed there might be a God. And when you talk to a young person about God, they ask you, to which God are you referring? So let's reach this generation and pray for a Mary-like generation to come through and rise up and affect and reach this town, this district, and this nation. We want that, don't we? we? Let's just take a moment to pray for our younger generation. Lord, Lord, we love you and we want to lift up our younger generation to you today. Lord, we we pray for a Mary-like generation to come through, for their souls to magnify you, O God. Will you break into this generation, Lord? Let them not be far from you, but let this be a generation that changes this nation, that changes this area, Lord Jesus. Will you come and break in? I pray for the children that we have with us. I pray for the youth that we have with us. Let them be on fire for you. Let them not have a foot in each world, Lord, but let them be on fire for you. I pray for radical encounters with a living God, that they will come to know you, that they will not be attracted by the things of this world, but they will see and know you as their God and their Saviour and their souls will magnify the Lord. Let this place be overflowing with young people, Lord, where their souls magnify the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Right, let's keep moving. Verse 57. Now, I'm glad I've got that big print in my Bible. <clears throat> now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a, a, a writing tablet, not a tablet, just a writing tablet. <laughs> I think Androids were available then, but <laughs> not iPads. Um, <clears throat> and his name, and wrote his name, John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke Blessing God and fear came on all their neighbours. And all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid upon <coughs> in their hearts, excuse me, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. <coughs> and Zach, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Excuse me. <coughs> He prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has, he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, and as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, <clears throat> will be called prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Wow. It's quite a lot, isn't it? Not sure if I'm going to cover everything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but again, we see the, the Holy Spirit at work. After nine months of silence, probably deaf and mute because they had to signal to him as well, Zechariah's words are full of praise. He goes from being silenced through a lack of faith, but then through an act of faith, writing John, not conforming to the expected social norms, but being obedient and naming the child John, his tongue is loosened. Silenced through a lack of faith, but then able to speak through a step of faith. And then in verse 67, he breaks into this song of praise or prophecy. 
speaking of the two children whose careers and divine destiny have been brought together. John is the child born, but the hymn focuses on the one to whom John is going to point. The one promised long ago. The one who would be sent to rescue and bless to everyone who turns to him. Nine months earlier, Zachariah wouldn't believe his wife could have a child. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he is so confident of God's redeeming work of this coming Messiah, he speaks in past tense. He has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 68. He has visited and redeemed his people. Zechariah has learned to take God on his word, and he is remarkably assured. He was, the God of, he was the God of Israel, and for centuries the Jews had kind of now languished under this conviction that God had withdrawn. The spirit of prophecy had ceased. They'd fallen into the hands of Rome. But the godly in Israel were waiting for God to visit. We see later on in Luke, uh, Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. Anna was looking for the redemption of Jerusalem in 238. But God was coming in a way that nobody expected. <clears throat> Zechariah couldn't have imagined the Messiah having to die to accomplish redemption. Even Jesus took years to get it into his disciples' heads that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and killed and on the third day raised again. Then in verse 69, he goes into, uh, uses this interesting um, phrase, he has raised up a horn of salvation. Could sound a bit weird, couldn't it? Yeah. Horn of salvation. Horn in the Bible is a sign of strength. We're not talking about a little. Da -da -da. Um, it's the only place in the New Testament. Is that what horns do? I know nothing about instruments, by the way. I would be the worst person to join the worship team. I don't. I think that's a horn. Um, <clears throat> it's the only place in the the New. That's a horn, isn't it? That, yes, move on. It's the, uh, listen now. <laughs> yeah. I could sing in the band. <clears throat> anyway, I'll have a drink while you pull yourselves together. <clears throat> right, are we back? Great. Let's ignore that bit. It's the only place in the New Testament where Jesus is referred to as the horn of salvation. We have to go back to the Old Testament for the image of, of the horn. Psalm 92 says, For behold, your, enemy, your enemies, your enemies, it's gone. I'm going to have to start again. Your enemies, O Lord, for behold, your enemies shall perish. All evildoers shall be scattered. But you have exalted my horn like that of the wild ox. You have poured over me fresh oil. Horn is a sign of strength and victory. In Micah 4.13, it says, I will make your horn iron and your hooves bronze. In verse 70, he says, he talks about it was prophesied of old. We see it in Psalm 132. It says, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. From verse 16, actually, in Psalm 132, her priests I will clothe with salvation and her saints will shout for joy. Verse 17, there I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. 
Through the Old Testament, God is the one who fights for Israel. He is the one who is strong. He is the one who gets victory against the enemies of his people. David recalls this after he's worked through his issues in freedom in Christ about being forgotten by his dad. He recalls this after God saved him from his enemy. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. God is his defense, his shield, and his offense, his deadly and powerful weapon horn. Zechariah is now talking about Jesus as this deadly weapon with tremendous power, which God uses to save his people. He crushes our enemy. Sin and death. He comes in and crushes our enemy, sin and death. You see, because we are all in need. There is a real and deadly disease. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. 1 Peter 5 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to, for someone to devour. But the horn of salvation, Jesus was born and has come into this world. He lived and died for all mankind and he has rescued you from that. And all you have to do is call upon his name. He has visited and redeemed his people. Verse 77 It says this, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Jesus has come to give you new life. Jesus has come to give you new life today and life in all its fullness and all you have to do is step into it. It says those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. He keeps his promises. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you are here this morning and you have not done that, if you would not call yourself a Christian, all you have to do is call upon his name. All you have to do is call upon his name. Jesus has come to give you life. All you have to do is receive it. He is mighty. He is mighty. Will you receive him today? Shall we pray? Lord, thank you that you have come. You are the horn of our salvation, born into this world miraculously to give us life. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, Father, that you do what you say you will. You said that you will come. You said that you would crush the head, his head with your heel and bring us into new life. Thank you, Jesus. If you today want to have that new life that is on offer, you can just say these words after me, just in the quietness of your own heart. Thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you, 
that you died for me on the cross, taking my sin and my shame. Please now come and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive me for my sins and help me live the new life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.